Everybody, oh my gosh, I met so many people that are back for the first time since this stinking pandemic started. Oh, dang. Man, it's good to see you. I love you. I thank God for you. And if you're, I mean, for the first time here ever, man, we're delighted to have you because what I believe is God called you to be in this place at this moment in your life, and you said yes. You showed up, and he's going to show up in your life with great purpose. He wants to tattoo on your soul the truth that Jesus is greater He's greater than all our struggles. Now, we can struggle financially and physically and in our families or in a friendship, in our emotions, our mental health. But there is one struggle that is cancerous. It's the struggle kind of at the root of all struggles. And it just eats away at the human soul. It's the struggle of shame. And so we're going to deal with it today with the power of Jesus, who is greater than all our shame. He is so good. I I want to take you back to the very first time that shame was experienced in a human heart. I mean, it is It is an affliction that we all have to deal with. Shame, our shame, over what we've done, over what we said that was wrong, over even our wrong thoughts leave us with shame. And sometimes we want to bury it. Sometimes, I mean, shame is so painful. We have a way of trying to salve it. And just let me show you how we try to comfort ourselves in our shame by taking you back to the first two human beings It all started there, Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. At that moment, when they sinned against God, the very moment they sinned, very moment they sinned, their eyes were opened. They suddenly, just like that, they felt shame. Shame at their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They hid from the Lord God, and the Lord called out the man, where are you? That that could easily be translated, what have you done? And the man said, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid. Now, it's easy to be, get a calloused heart. So when we sin, man, we just cover the shame with a callous. And we sin again and cover, we never really deal with it. We push it below the surface until it erupts volcanically in dark emotions, dark thoughts, and dark behaviors. You see, Adam and Eve, they did three things as a result of their sin. And when we sin with a thought, with a word, with a behavior, we do the same three things. Number one, we hide from God. We withdraw from the relationship. You can still come to church having and be withdrawn from God. It's like they're Because of your sin, there's a chasm between you and God. You can say your prayers, you can read your Bible, you can show up at church, but there is a distance between you and God created by your sin. Number two, we start to do life afraid. There is this undercurrent of fear that just runs through every day, afraid that we won't be accepted, afraid that we'll be rejected, afraid that we'll fear, afraid that someone will find out, afraid, 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 afraid. It touches everything. 
And then thirdly and finally, we try to cover our shame with fig leaf stuff, Adam and Eve. Suddenly, for the first time in human experience, they felt shame. And their only answer to cover, I mean, shame is so painful. The only way that they had to try to get rid of their shame was to put together a bunch of fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Now, we do fig leaf stuff to cover our shame, and it never works. It always makes the shame worse. We do fig leaf stuff by overdoing dysfunctional, self-damaging behaviors. Like, like maybe overdoing eating. Overeating has a hold on you. You're just trying to deal with your shame, but then you feel worse. You feel more shameful. Maybe overspending has a hold on you. Maybe overdrinking has a hold on you. Anything, maybe like me, overworking can get a hold on you. You, you try to cover your shame just by working too much. Anger, uh, addiction, gambling, uh, pornography, it's all our effort to cover our shame and it all makes us feel worse. But it can have a hold on us. In fact, the Bible has a word for all these behaviors that get a hold on us. The Bible calls them a stronghold. Now, a stronghold keeps you bound up, chained up in hurtful thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Whatever you're overdoing, it just keeps you bound up in the hurtful thoughts, in the hurtful. It does not salve it. It does not remedy it. It keeps you bound up in the hurtful thoughts, emotions, and behave. Just to illustrate, I came across this week a love letter written by shame. Let me read it to you. Dear friend, shame writes, I'm moving in for a painful long-term stay. I love to watch you suffer in your mind, in your emotions, in your relationships. My plan is to keep you so full of anxiety, you can never re relax. I want to keep you annoyed, nervous, angry, easily irritated. I will remind you of your sin so you always feel guilty and full of regret. I want you mad at God and the world for the way it is. I will see that you blame everyone but yourself for the way you are. I want to keep you full of despair and self-pity. I, I want to keep you empty of hope and peace. I want to keep you away from Jesus and his cleansing power, his saving love, forever yours, your friend, shame. And maybe you say, David, dude, you're reading my mail. That's my life. Well, or maybe for you, it's not quite that intense. I mean, we all do stuff. We all think stuff. We all say stuff. That's hurtful and hateful and dark. And we shake our heads and think, why did I say that? Why did I let that come out of my mouth? Why did I do that? What's going on in my mind? Maybe you're more like the Apostle Paul who said, I just don't get myself. Check this out. Word of God. Apostle Paul writes, I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to do, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong. My bad conscience proves it. It hurts. Shame 
hurts. We try to salve the hurt with figly stuff. It doesn't work. It makes the shame worse. So this morning, here's good news because I want you to leave this place shame-free. Here's good news number one. Jesus is greater than all our shame. He's greater than all the darkness, greater than all the hurt. He's got the healing. He's got the help. He's got the hope. He will rid you of shame. He died on the cross to rid you of shame. It was worth giving his life. It was worth leaving heaven. It was worth fighting his way tenaciously through every sin himself so that Jesus knew no sin and did no sin, lived an utterly, absolutely perfect life. Why? Because he loved you and wanted to rid you of your shame on the cross as he bled and died. He took upon himself all my ugly, evil imperfections and yours. And now when we believe that Jesus is God who died on the cross for our sins and God raised from the dead, he puts on us all the glory, all the beauty of his perfection. So it wasn't that Jesus was perfect for nothing. He was perfect for you to give you his perfection for all your ugly, evil imperfections. Good news number two, Jesus can shatter all our strongholds. That stuff that's got a stronghold on us, that overdoing, overactive behavior that needs to stop so we can stop the shame. Jesus will absolutely shatter it. I'll show you how. I'll show you how it can happen for you this morning. I'll show you how by taking you into a Jesus story. Now, actually, it starts out as a boat story. At night, it's dark, but Jesus orders 12 of his best friends to get in a boat with him and sail to the other side. Check it out. From their side, their side's the good side. Their side's the God side. Their side's the right side. The right side that the good people, the right people live on. But Jesus says, you guys, you take me over to the other side. Jesus and his disciples arrived on the, say other side. Yeah, they arrived on the other side of the lake. You see, the other side in their minds was the wrong side. The wrong race of people lived on the other side. The wrong religion was practiced on the other side. They worshiped pigs. I love bacon. <laughs> but I'm not going to worship a pig. But they worshiped pigs. That was their God. They reverenced pigs were sacred to them. And to the disciples, the close friends of Jesus, that's like, this is as dark as it gets. This is as vile and depraved and sinful as it gets. These guys are the wrong race, the wrong religion. We don't agree with their lifestyle. Their lifestyle is wrong. But see, this is so Jesus. Because Jesus goes to every person, every place, and shows them not just unconditional love and unconditional acceptance, but shows every person Every person made, is made in the image of God, so every person gets from Jesus unconditional dignity and respect. And he was always about the business of showing his disciples how to drop their prejudices against people who are a different color or a different race, even practice a different religion. You see, Jesus broke racial barriers, and he broke sexual barriers uh, or gender barriers. He, he broke uh, religious barriers all in an effort to reach out to people and bring them into a saved relationship with himself. Um, 
And so these guys, the closest friends of Jesus, they get to the other side. It's still dark. Uh, their boat kind of crunches on the gravel of the shoreline. They, they take down the sail. They cautiously uh, get out of the boat. And when they do their worst nightmares about being on the wrong side, come to fruition, charging at them out of the graveyard is this wild, crazy guy, completely naked, running and screaming at him like a madman. They thought they were in a scene from The Walking Dead. <laughs> They're like, they go into freak out panic mode, all of them bailing back into the moat. I knew this was going to happen. What was Jesus thinking? Nobody goes to the other side. But Jesus, he gets out of the boat and start to make, starts to make his move toward this broken, possessed, shame-filled man. Check it out. As Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit, came out of the tombs to meet him. This is unfamiliar territory for the friends of Jesus. They had, they had no idea they were landing their craft on the outskirts of burial caves filled with dead bodies. Or that there was this one man who had been confined to living in this graveyard. But I believe Jesus came to the other side of the lake, not just to show um, unconditional acceptance and respect and love and dignity for people on the other side. People of another religion, people of another race, breaking the racial barrier, breaking the religious barrier. No, I think he came for this one guy, this one guy so consumed with evils, every thought wrong, every emotion darkened in his heart, all his behavior crazy and out of control. Jesus came for this one man to set him free. And so Jesus is here showing up to show off in your life and set you free. He'll do it for just one. And he's brought you here to be the one. This man, this man lived among the burial caves. He could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains with his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. I mean, how dangerous, how disgusting does a person have to be that his friends and family try to chain him up where dead people are, in a cave, in a tomb, with dead bodies. How bad do you have to be that they try to isolate you from the community? You're out. Now, Jesus, for his followers, it wasn't just that he tore down racial barriers and religious barriers. He modeled touching the untouchable. He, he modeled showing acceptance and love to the outcast. That no one has drifted so far. That no one is so bad that the love of Jesus is not greater, that the grace of Jesus is not farther in its reach to rescue, deliver, and save. And, and did you notice that this out of his mind, full of evil man um, was cutting himself with sharp stones? Back in the 90s, there was a band 
Nine Inch Nails. And I was kind of intrigued. I'd heard the name of the band, kind of represented the nails that pierced the hands and feet of Jesus. And um, Trent Reznor um, was a leader. Um, he wrote a song back in the 90s called Hurt. And it was about his depression and his heroin addiction. And I, to tell you the truth, I'm really more familiar with the Johnny Cash cover of the song, Hurt. And in fact, I would, I would encourage you to Google Johnny Cash Hurt. And just, I mean, it's so, so compelling. Johnny Cash could have been singing about the guy in the story, but here's the opening line of the song. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. That's this guy. He picks up sharp stones. He cuts himself. I cut myself today to see if I can still feel. Focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. So this guy, it's, he is so full of evil. I mean, so often trying to cover his shame with fig leaf stuff, and it just volcanically erupts in this bad, crazy behavior. And he hurts himself just to see if it's, just to see if he's real until he meets Jesus, who is the epitome of the real deal. While Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed before him with a shriek. He screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you not to torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Now this, to tell you the truth, to me, this is so Jesus, because he looks beyond the man's appearance, naked, self-abused. He looks beyond the man's wild behavior. He looks to the inner evil enemy who has consumed the man. Regularly in his ministry, Jesus would warn us that we have an evil inner enemy, Satan. Jesus said he's a liar. He's a murderer. He has only one agenda, to steal, kill, and destroy. So your enemy is not anyone flesh and blood. Your enemy is not people who think differently than you politically. Your enemy is not someone who cooks up a conspiracy theory. Your enemy is not someone who holds a different behavior, who, who has a different religion. Your enemy is not someone who has a different lifestyle. Your enemy is Satan. Here's the Apostle Paul in the Word of God. Under the breath of God, he writes, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. It's not people. On the outside, it's Satan on the inside, but against all evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Maybe you're unfamiliar with Satan, that he was God's most powerful, most beautiful angel, and he led 
one-third of all the angels in heaven in rebellion against God, in a war against God, wasn't even a fight. God blinks his eye, bam, and Satan and a third of the angels who followed him in rebellion, they are all cast out, but they are those evil spirits that come against us 24-7, never take a day off. They are unrelenting, so we must be totally devoted in our pursuit and our longing and our being filled with the light of Jesus because, you see, Jesus is greater than all the powers of darkness. And I don't know what level of darkness you're dealing with right now. I know the dark thoughts I'm struggling with. I know the dark emotions I'm struggling with, and I want them out. I want them gone. I want to be done with them before they become shame, before they become shameful, before I become shameful. It's one of the reasons I love the song that Bree so beautifully sang, Jesus Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Scare the darkness to death, Lord, and drive it out of my heart. Drive it out of my mind. Drive it away from my spirit. I want to be done with darkness in my life. Jesus demanded of the man, Jesus demanded, what's your name? My name is Legion. A legion was a military unit with 6,000 soldiers. This guy is consumed with evil thoughts and evil behavior and, and evil emotions. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. He begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. Darkness comes into every life. Satan lies to you as he lies to me. Satan wants to kill your hope, wants to steal my peace, wants to divide us, wants to destroy our families, our friendships. But Jesus, Jesus is the light greater than all the darkness. Here's light truth number one. The light of Jesus is greater than your personal darkness. It's greater than mine. That's why on the way home last night, I'm driving home, and I'm crying out, Jesus, make the darkness in me tremble. Cast it out, Lord. I want to be in your light. I want to be in your love. I want to be consumed with you. Light truth number two. Uh, the light of Jesus pierces your darkness. I love this. Pierces it so that it just so that it just dissolves. Has no substance within my heart, within my mind any longer. Can't take root. And then life, uh, light truth number three, the light of Jesus chases away your darkness. And last night on my way home, as the darkness was being chased out of my mind and out of my heart, as I was getting full of the light of Jesus, I felt free. I felt real because I felt Jesus. Sure, you have pain and I have pain, but the greatest reality is the love and light of Christ. You see, the Word of God says the light, Jesus, the light, Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, I'll tell you this. Last night in my car on the way home, the light of Jesus extinguished the darkness, but the darkness will never extinguish His light in me. 
The light of Jesus will extinguish the darkness in you, but the darkness that comes will never extinguish. His light is too powerful. His light has got too staying power. His light is too substantial. His light doesn't just stay. It conquers. It sustains. It delivers, and it saves you, friend. Now, I've, I've really been praying that someone this weekend would see the light and move toward the light of Jesus. But I know for probably many of us that we can see the light, but we don't move away from our dysfunction, away from our self-damaging behavior. We see the light, but we won't move until we feel the heat. Maybe you've heard the phrase, well, they got to hit rock bottom. I think that's a lie. I'm telling you right now, if you're hurting, if you're addicted, if you're in struggle that's overwhelming you, if you feel defeated, you don't have to have your life fall apart. You can turn to Jesus. You can open your heart to his light. You don't have to hit rock bottom. No, he will put your feet on the higher ground of abundant living. That's his promise. Higher ground of abundant living. You turn to him. You don't have to hit rock bottom. No, you'll climb up on the rock, the higher ground of abundant living. So... You guys are stealing all my time with your hand clapping. Um, okay, For, first time I went to Israel uh, many, many years ago, unexpectedly our guide took us to the very place that this occurred. And I'm, as I'm standing there above the Sea of Galilee on these beautiful hills, um, I tried to imagine this scene. I tried to imagine a, a massive herd of pigs on these hills, because that's what happened on this day. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a hill nearby. Uh, the demons begged Jesus, send us into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out of the man. Every evil thought, out, now he's in his right mind. Every dark emotion, out, now he feels peace. He feels hope. Jesus is at work. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. Now, I'm weird, but I think Jesus called out to the guys herding the pigs, hey, pig dudes, you think those pigs are God? I'll show you who God is. Check this out. This little piggy went to market. This little piggy stayed home. This little piggy had roast beef. This little piggy had none. This little piggy and 2,000 others went wee, wee, wee all the way to the sea and drowned. Jesus is like, if that's your God, they ain't nothing. I am God. And as irrefutable evidence, I'll tell you what really happened. Here's the truth. From Scripture, those herdsmen ran from the herd of pigs all the way back to the village. They woke everybody up. They told everybody what happened. And so the whole, turn, the whole town turns out to see this Jesus. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been We know that guy. He's dangerous. He's a raving lunatic. We chained him up. We bound him in shackles. We know that guy. They saw the man who had, who had been, past tense, possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed, fully clothed, 
fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were afraid. Now, I can't prove this, but if I was a betting man, I'd lay wager that Jesus took off his personal robe and wrapped it around the nakedness of this man. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.